We typically will do some expository top, topical messages uh, during the month of January, just some things that are on our hearts, things that, that we, we feel like are relevant for um, this beginning of the year. And so if you would turn to the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to do that this morning and the next two Sundays before we start Esther. Um, I want us to think about something that is so crucial for us as believers, and that is trusting God and his word. And, and, I, and I know that immediately you say, well, okay, that's, that's simple, that's obvious, we're believers in Jesus Christ, of course, we're supposed to trust God and his word. But the reality, I think if we're honest, is our trust can be fluid. We, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, but it doesn't, our, our, our sort of dependence and trust doesn't just stay static or always increase, it, it can falter at times, it, it can um, seem to go up and down. Um, you land me in the middle of really hard circumstances that turn my world upside down, and in that moment, my trust is challenged. Sometimes it'll grow through those circumstances. In fact, often it will, but often right at the very beginning is when I'm asking questions and when I'm struggling in terms of trust. You, you go through prolonged pain, prolonged difficulty. You go through long waiting. And, and, and that's when the questions come up of my trust in God. What does it look like then? What about when there are attacks on the reliability of Scripture, on, on the faithfulness and authority of God's Word? How goes your trust in the word of God when skeptics bring up hard questions or, or suggest that there are errors in the Bible. And so this morning, what I want to do is, is survey um, the, the first four chapters of Deuteronomy. And the goal here is to see the actions of God as they are revealed by the word of God and to see how they tell us about the trustworthiness of God. So the actions of God is revealed by the word of God so that we would see the trustworthy of God with the aim then, which is Moses's aim in, in these opening chapters, that we would respond better in terms of our trust and obedience to him. Deuteronomy opens with the Israelites poised to finally enter the land that God has promised them. I, I, it, I felt like this was kind of appropriate as since the beginning of December, I think we've, we've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament and sort of set up some of the context as we've been thinking about the flow here, even in the, the Old Testament. And so Deuteronomy, we understand that the nation of Israel has been for 430 years, has been in Israel, has been in Egypt, starting with when Jacob takes his family down there because there's food going until the time that Moses leads the Israelites back out of Egypt and toward the promised land. And it is during that span uh, that the Israelite people become enslaved uh, by the, the ruler of Egypt and the, the, the male newborn babies are ordered to be killed. And so it has become a, a brutally difficult time for the Jewish people. But we know that God used these powerful, supernatural plagues to intervene and rescue his people from slavery. Uh, God does this mighty work in order to deliver them, even, even bringing them through the Red Sea, the, the parting of the Red Sea, and bringing them safely away from Pharaoh and his army. And yet, when it comes time to enter the promised land, Numbers chapter 14 tells us, and all the people of Israel crumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, 
would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They failed to trust God. At this pivotal moment, having seen all that God had done, they come to this place and they refuse to trust him. And so they are consequently punished with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, with the dying off of a generation that will not enter the promised land because of their, their unwillingness to trust him. God's merciful. And so as Deuteronomy begins, you have Moses leading this nation now that is literally millions of people, and they are poised in the wilderness on the east side of the Jordan River, and they are getting ready to cross over into that land of promise. And so the book of Deuteronomy is God's charge to his people given through Moses. It is largely a repeating of the law that God gave at, the, the, at Mount Sinai that the people received then in the book of Exodus. Um, but it is in the form of a, an ancient covenant or an ancient treaty. And, and, and the way that that would flow and, and what we're going to see particularly in the beginning of Deuteronomy, it would open with a prologue with a, a history by which the ruler who's making the treaty says, this is who I am, this is how we are related, this is how we know that you are in submission to me as your ruler, this is what I've done for you, and, and this sets the groundwork for how now I'm going to call you to behave in response now, in, in terms of this treaty. And so this first four chapters of Deuteronomy is to remind the people, this is who your ruler is. This is your history, your relationship with this ruler. This is who he is who has brought you here, and this is what he has done. Here is your king. The rest of Deuteronomy, we're not going to look at that this morning, but the rest of Deuteronomy then exposits God's law. Here is the ruler's law. Here is what life looks like in his kingdom that he has established for you. Here are the blessings for your obedience to his law. Here are the consequences for your disobedience to his law. And then finally, Deuteronomy ends with a closing section that in some sense is somewhat personal. It is Moses' last words. He is not going into the promised land because of his sin. It is Joshua who will lead them in. And so the last part of Deuteronomy is Moses giving his parting words before his death. But let me start with Deuteronomy 1, verse 3, just to set the stage for us. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. According to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Right from the start, the, the, the lesson that Moses wants to communicate is, these are God's words. You are hearing my voice as I speak to you here but what you are hearing is the very word of God. This is the word of Yahweh who is speaking. And, and Moses will make that point in different ways over and over and over again. In these opening chapters, he'll use phrases like, this is what the Lord our God said. These are his commands. Uh, we set out as the Lord told us to. When it was decided that we would not enter the promised land, it was the Lord God who swore that the prior generation would not enter. Moses says, the Lord said to me eight times in these first four chapters, but that's just scratching the surface. 
You, you read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, the books that you're, if you're doing your one-year Bible reading and you're, you're plowing deeply into right now, Moses in those five books uses the phrase, God said, or the Lord said, or God spoke, or the Lord spoke, more than 250 times. You get a sense that he's trying to hammer a point home into in his listeners, to us, his readers, is, and that the scriptures could not be any more clear in their testimony. This is the very word of the living God. When you read this, you are hearing from God. And so as Moses is recounting the history that brings them to this point, he wants it to be unmistakably clear that he is a channel, he is a conduit, but that he is speaking God's word. It is their creator they are hearing from. And so ultimately, the, the trustworthiness and reliability of our Bibles is directly related to the trustworthiness and reliability of our God. Understanding the character of God and who he is causes us to now understand that what we have is his word. God did not leave it to man to sort of formulate ideas about who this God is, to sort of postulate about what religion and spirituality look like. There's tons of books that, that, that do that kind of stuff, but this is the word of God. He revealed himself. Scripture is the self-revelation of the creator God, and it is his testimony, his law, his precepts. It is the sovereign infinite creator of the universe who is condescending to communicate with finite creatures so that we can now know him, so that he can show himself to us and we can understand who he is and know his will. That's why what we do here at, at Grace, the study and teaching of God's word is central. When, when, when when the elders meet and we talk about life here at Grace, the, the, we always understand that the, the, the Sunday morning, particularly the, the preaching event, is the centerpiece. Not because I happen to like preaching, it is because we come here to hear from the Word of God. We, we come here to, to, to know God's will, and so reading, studying Scripture is central to what we do as a body. It should be central to what we do as believers in Jesus Christ, as individuals, in terms of our own study and meditation on the Word. It, it's what Peter said to Jesus in John chapter 6, when Jesus says, are you going to leave just like everybody else? And he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Your words feed us. They are light for us. They give us perfect wisdom. They give us comfort when we are weak and when we are discouraged. It is the actual word of the Lord it, it himself. We have not put our trust in the ideas of men. We, we are believing that this, as it proclaims itself to be over and over again, is God speaking to us, and therefore we are to listen and trust and obey. A pastor by the name of Gary Millar put it this way, there is an unbreakable connection with our doctrine of God, the words of God as presented in the biblical text, and the actions of God to which the text bears witness. Our understanding of who God is in character, in nature, the doctrine of God is, is intimately connected then to the revelation of God in Scripture, and Scripture is revealing us the actions of God, and all of it is pointing back to a God who is faithful and reliable. And so Moses is deeply concerned to make sure that they know what they are hearing, that it is God's word, and God's word 
is a reflection of God's character and his nature. So Moses is recounting the words of the Lord. Here in Deuteronomy chapter one, he's gonna take them back 40 years earlier to that moment of failure when they first come up out of Egypt. And so in Deuteronomy one, verse eight, he reminds them of what God said. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. There's the command. Moses is trying to be as simple and clear as possible. God spoke. God promised. He said, there it is. I am telling you now, commanding you now, that what I promised to your forefathers is now yours. Go and take it. One of the repeated themes that you see in the books of, of Moses is the swearing of oaths. And the truism that's often presented is, when man does that, when man vows, man promises, man says, I will do this, man is fully unreliable. That he may or may not keep his word, or he may partially keep his word, but when God swears that he will do this, it is always true. That is the nature of God. That is his character. He does not make promises he does not keep. And so when God swore to the people that this land will be yours and it, as an inheritance, no matter how threatening the inhabitants appeared to them, that's all secondary. God is giving you this land. And he said it, and he said to go in and, and take it. Moses repeats this again in verses 20 and 21, where the emphasis is on don't be afraid. He's, he's again taking him back the 40 years. Don't be afraid. This is the land God is giving us. Go take it. And we know that's not what happened. Verse 26, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Why, why did they refuse to obey? Was God's word unclear? Were his promises vague? No, they refused to go because they did not trust him. Because when it came right down to it, and, and it was time to step forward in obedience to him, they said, no, we've heard you, but look at our circumstances. The spies have gone in, they've come back with a report. These cities, they got big walls, thick walls. We got nothing but people, we got no weaponry. The people inside those cities are really big and we can't do it. And so the Israelites take the word of almighty God, the assurance and promise, and they say, nope, we're gonna be defeated. We don't believe you. We should have stayed in Egypt, should at least stay in the wilderness. In fact, to go back to the, the, the line from Numbers, we might as well just die. Might as well just die here because we're gonna die trying to go in and take this land, so what's the point? Remarkable, because what the Israelites had that you and I also have is, is it, that, that shows us God's trustworthiness is not, not only his word, but it is within his word, the record of his actions. We have the statements of God, but then we also have the deeds of God that demonstrate his, his trustworthiness. We, we have the Bible's testimony over and over again to the, the works of God and his faithfulness and trustworthiness in those things. So look what Moses says when the people rebelled because they don't trust God to, to give them victory. Look, Deuteronomy 1 verse 29. Moses is recalling this. He says, then I said to you, 
You, you ever have that, with, I, I told you so sort of thing? This, this is that moment. This is Moses saying, okay, we've, we've been here, done this, but I'm going to remind you of this moment. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out of place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Moses is recounting that he is appalled at their fear. He is upset that, that they are not trusting. And, and he said to them, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what you have seen? How, how did you get out of Egypt in the first place? Did you all, did I come and we fomented an uprising and, and the millions of us got together and we fought our way out of Egypt? No, you stood there like I did and you watched God do this miracle right before you. You, you simply trusted him and you obeyed. You wandered through the wilderness and food was provided for you. Who led you through the wilderness? No GPS, no compass, no, probably no clear maps. How, how did you get through? He says, God led you. Led you by a pillar of fire and a cloud. God did it all. He made it so that the Egyptians were, were forcing you to leave. You spent 40 years in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy 29 verse 5 says, God said, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. This is Moses saying, God carried you. It, it's all of him. You were like a child in his arms and he plucked you out of Egypt and he carried you every step. God has told you what to do and, and, and told you his promises and you just needed to trust him and follow him. And you refused. He did all the hard stuff. It had nothing to do with your strategy or your skill. And yet they did not trust him so they wander for nearly 40 years in the wilderness. So now the time has come. Moses has recounted all this. God is now preparing them to finally enter the land. And in chapter 2, he's talking about this journey that they're taking from down in the south, south of the Dead Sea, up to the east side of the Jordan River. And they, they come up, and, and, and this is going to be their approach to the land. map might be a little difficult to see. It was too big to put in the, this picture in your notes, so you just kind of have to follow along. They're coming from the south. And you see below the Dead Sea is the nation of Edom, and God's direction to them is, you're going to go around Edom. You're going to go out into desert wilderness. And what, if you cut through, would be a much quicker trip. Unfortunately, you're going to go all the way around Edom. And, and so in Deuteronomy 2, verse 5, he says this. He, he basically says to the Israelites, you're going to leave the Edomites alone. Deuteronomy 2, verse 5. Do not contend with them. For I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Edomites are descendants of Jacob's twin brother Esau. The land that is theirs there in that, that, that southern portion was given to them, but as it was given to Esau by God, and that's what the Lord is reaffirming. 
I gave it to them, you will go around them. You will not go in and try to instigate trouble. You're not going to war against them. You're going to go completely around Edom. And then he goes on and he talks about Moab and he says the same thing. You're gonna go around Moab and you're not gonna harass the people. You're not gonna contend with them because I gave that land to Lot and to Lot's descendants. It's, it's not for you to take. I point that out because I, I think part of the, the, the emphasis here for Moses is the trustworthiness of God. And now Moses is reminding us that God is even trustworthy to people who are not his own. That the Israelites have to go around because God said, I swore to those people, to the Edomites and to the Moabites, that this is their land. Now that doesn't preclude the fact that in generations later, God can punish and take people out of land because he's gonna do that to his own people. But at this stage, he's saying, no, you're, you're not going to, to war with them. I gave this to your ancestors, essentially your cousins, and so you leave it alone. Now, as the Israelites move north and go around Edom, east of the Jordan, they do encounter rebellious kings who come out against them. Moses tries to preclude this, and, and, and Moses says, I, I, I told them, we're not here to take your land. We're not here to war against you. If we need food or water, we'll buy it. We're not here to, to, to hassle you in any way, basically, but the kings of Heshbon and Bashan would not let them pass through. And so some of these enemy cities come out and clash against them. Hard to see, but if you follow that route up, you see two little points that look like sort of explosions there. That's, that's the two places where the Israelites clash now with these kings and their cities who come out against them. And the record in Deuteronomy says, the Lord, our God, gave him over to us. Nothing about Israelite military prowess. Nothing about great strategy, courageous troops, marvelous bravery. God gave the opposing kings and their armies into the hands of the Israelites. And consequently then the land, because they had come out and rebelled in that way. So that way when we, ultimately when we see our map of the Israelite nation as it's formed at the beginning, there's tribes, two and a half tribes that are on the east side of the Jordan. And that's because these kings came out against the Israelites and God gave them over. Um, but the whole point of this historical record that, that, that Moses is walking through is to say, can you not trust him? How can you not? He has done all this. He has provided all this. So trust him and obey him. Your God said this. Your God did this. The creator has shown himself worthy of your trust time and time again because he himself is faithful. Moses himself is about to die. Joshua is about to take leadership. And, and Moses, in the, the, these final words, this book of Deuteronomy, wants to sear into the minds of the people that when Yahweh speaks and Yahweh acts, what he says and what he does will always prove faithful because that's his character. And, and, and so trust him in all that he says and does and obey him. So that, that's the purpose of this history lesson. And really we see that because this introduction all leads up then to chapter four. And Moses begins Deuteronomy four, verse one by saying, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God that I command you. He's saying now Israel, we've recounted all this history. 
You've heard the word of Yahweh. You've seen the actions of Yahweh. So trust him and obey him. Don't, don't mess with his word. Don't try to add to it. Don't try to compromise it. Don't, don't take anything away from it. This is what God has said. It is the word of the Lord. Listen to it. Learn from it. Don't forget what you've seen of him through it. Trust him and obey. Because if you fail to trust the trustworthy God, there will be consequences. Verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. That, that's, not, that's not ancient history. That's like very recent history. Moses is saying, remember, probably just a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago at best, when we were camped out outside of Moab, and, and you knew God's commands because he had spoken to you. You already had the law, and the law said, no other gods before me. And there we were camped outside of Moab, and some of you started intermingling with the Moab, Moabites, and then you started worshiping the Moabite God, the Baal of, of Peor, and God struck down those who led in that idolatry. Moses had said, don't forget what God's word says. Don't forget what you've seen. Keep it to obey it. And they put other gods before God and the punishment was swift. Such that even in judgment, what's the message? God is trustworthy. God is faithful and reliable. Even in judgment, God keeps his word. He had said, if you do this, I will punish you. And a large section of what follows in the opening part of Deuteronomy 4 really builds off this incident with the, the Moabites and their failure to trust and their pursuing idols and, and warns against watching yourselves carefully. Don't fall into this corruption. Don't pursue these idols. And then the faithful God warns this, if his people persist in this, if even after they have gone into the land, they start to chase after other gods, then they will no longer possess the land. Deuteronomy 4, verse 27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Sound familiar as you think about your Old Testament history? The, the nation of Israel divides into Israel and Judah. If we fast forward just some centuries from this point, they are being taken over and exiled and scattered among the nations precisely because kings led them in rebelling against God. He drew them away from God and they stopped worshiping the living God. And where did they find themselves? Scattered amongst the nations. So much so that when we get to the book of Esther, we find Mordecai and Esther, Jews who are in Persia and who are clearly a minority there and who will become a threatened minority um, as we see in the book of Esther. It, it, it all goes back to at that moment in Deuteronomy when Moses said, if you do this, the Lord will scatter you and you will be amongst the nations and you will lose your land. But, but, is God faithful? course, he's trustworthy. And so he adds this, verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. 
if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. The, the, the heart of the message is God does not change. Even when his people do, he is still trustworthy. So much so that, that he has vowed to be your God so that even after your sinful rebellion and his punishment that he promised, if you cry out in repentance and seek him, his back will not be turned. He will be like the, the father in the story of the prodigal, just sort of waiting out there to, to, to meet his son as he returns. He is there. He is for you. He is not abandoning you. You will find him because he is trustworthy. He will not renege on his promises. One of the, one of the chief lessons underlying all that, that Moses says in this kind of first half of, of Deuteronomy chapter 4, one of the things he wants to also get through to them is the contrast between the idols of man, the things that are tempting them, and the faithfulness of the one true living God. The idols, the things that they pursued in Moab and the things they would pursue later on, idols that are the things we crave, the things that we pursue and, and cherish, sadly, foolishly, at times even more than God. I, I want this. I want this relationship. I want this person. I want this job. I want, I want this and they are alluring, but they don't satisfy ultimately. They, they never provide real contentment or lasting joy because of two things. One is our desires are so erratic. The thing I want today, I may not want. I want something else come tomorrow because there's, there's a new version out that's coming out and I want that. Our desires change, but also the people and things around us change. And so the thing I have fixed my heart on, when I finally get it, I find that it's really not all it was cracked up to be. Even to the point that God gives us this gracious, beautiful gift of marriage, and, and sometimes we go in with this idea that this is perfect. This is the one I have wanted. This is the all-satisfying person. If I can just have this person, God, it will all be great. And then we get married and we find that, uh, not perfect. We have our moments. And and not all satisfying and always contenting and, and, and all the, only God is always good and always trustworthy. No relationship, no accomplishment, no promotion, no object I crave will do that. The Israelites chased idols of wood and stone. Ours come in all sorts of forms, but we battle the same corrupt cravings for people, for stuff, for circumstances. And, and when those things we crave, more than we do the peace and contentment from God, we fall into the very same sort of trap that the Israelites did. Um, they are fleeting. And, and that's exactly then why Moses, trying to draw this contrast, finishes Deuteronomy 4 with this glorious passage about the God you serve, the living God, who is utterly unique and perfect in character. Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? 
Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown. Why? That you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Moses is saying to his people, be astonished. You have heard the word of the living God. The creator has spoken to you. The Lord has revealed himself to you. He doesn't have to do that, but the holy creator of man has spoken to you and given you his word. Who has ever heard the voice of God and lived to tell about it? He says, you, you did. But he did even more, that's beyond compare. What Moses describes here is, Moses, is, is God reaches down into the belly of Egypt, which at that point is a mighty nation, is a world power at that point. And God reaches down into the belly of Egypt and does things that no one has ever seen before and, and plucks his people like a child, like a little baby, a helpless baby, and picks his child up and takes him out of this mighty country that is using them for slavery. And God rescues them for himself. And, and Moses is saying, have you ever heard of anything like that? You, you, you who heard about those who intermingled with the Moabite God, have you ever heard anything like that? Of a God who, who actually rescued his people in the way that you and your ancestors have been rescued? He says, of, of course not. But, but the big question then is, is the one that's answered in verse 35. Why did God do this? Why did God reveal himself to you this way through his words and his deeds? He did it so that you might know him. He wants you to know who he is, and he wants you to know above all that he is alone as God. Yahweh is utterly unique. There is nothing like him. His commands and his acts are like no other. His revelation of himself sets him apart from all others. Your God and his word are reliable. They can be trusted at all times. You don't have to wonder like the people with the other gods, is this going to upset our God? We don't know. We're going to try. We're going to appeal. We're going to hope. You know your God because he has revealed himself and his will to you. These, these are crucial questions for us if we stand in the, the shoes of Moses' audience for a moment. Do we believe these things with our being? Do we believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it speaks to us of the character of God and the person of God and that it speaks of the reliability of God and that in and of itself, because it draws on the character of God, in and of itself it is reliable and trustworthy. Do we believe that? Do we believe the, the supernatural acts that we read in the Bible that, that, that seem almost astonishing to imagine? Do we believe those things that have been attributed to our creator? Do you believe that his character is perfectly trustworthy and therefore when his word speaks to you it is authoritative and it is reliable do you believe that because th those are crucial questions right they're going to shape how you address the word of god how how you look at the the record of deeds in here they're going to really shape what you believe about the character of god and and who he is and that's moses's point i want you to obey but you need to know who it is you're obeying 
And you need to know who this God is and that he has revealed himself to you and he, he should receive our trust and obedience because of who he is and what he's done. Verse 36. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, drawing out before you nation, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Amen. Your trustworthy God loves you. He acted to make you his own. He saved you. He has done all this. Verse 36, when it says here in our ESV, out of heaven he lets you hear his voice that he might discipline you. The Hebrew word there can be discipline. It can also be instruct. It really depends on the context. And I would suggest to you that instruct is perhaps a better way to think about verse 36. Um, in the context, it is because he's already dealt with punishment. He's been dealing with punishment quite clearly. But what he's saying here, beyond the warnings of punishment, is God spoke to instruct you. He wants you to know who he is. He wants to teach you about his nature. He, he lets you hear his voice so he could instruct you. Now, you think, okay, well, that's a slight distinction in words. I'll, I'll come back to it in a second, just as to, to why I think that's significant, why it's instruct there. But, but this God that we've been presented with keeps his word, delivers his people, rules from heaven, and is providential over all of the things on earth. That's why he says he is Lord of heaven and earth. Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. He rules his people and he wants his people to know him. So we have been shown this God who is faithful in his character, in his words, who's faithful in his actions, and that is what he always will be. And that's the prologue of, of Deuteronomy. That's the setting for the treaty. The book will go on to restate God's law and, and to call the people to obedience and were to obey, not to try to win his favor, not to try to earn our salvation. He, he's already made the context clear. This God chose you. This God set his love on you. This God rescued you when you were helpless. He has done all of this. You belong to him, so now obey out of gratitude and because you know his ways are right and good because he's reliable. That is his character. I'll finish with this. In the New Testament, a passage we've talked about before, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul alludes back to all the stuff we've just been talking about. In 1 Corinthians 10, he goes back and he says that these things, this wandering in the wilderness and this Israelite rebellion... 1 Corinthians 10, 6, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul, in his setting, 1,300, 1,400 years after Moses, in Corinth, pagan city, lots of idol worship, idol feast, lots of temptation for the believers. So he goes on and he warns about idolatry and immorality. And he says, you remember our ancestors in the faith. 
that they also faced these things. And so these things were written to give us an example so we wouldn't do that. But then in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our what? Instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you're going to be proud and ignore his instruction, expect to fall. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you. No testing is another way to say that. That is not common to man. God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may endure, be able to endure it. There's Paul saying, remember what Moses taught us? You know how we've read from the Old Testament and, and, and all of that time? There is God showing us his deeds and his words, not just for the Israelites of 3,000 years ago, not just for the Corinthians of 2,000 years ago. These things were written for our instruction. Remember what Moses said. God spoke from heaven, why? To instruct you about himself. These examples were written so that he might instruct you. And what is it that he wants us to learn? Verse 13, he wants us to remember that God is faithful. That in all that we face, God is reliable. God is trustworthy. So that even when you are facing temptation, even when you are being tested, God is with you and he will not let you, precious child, be tested beyond what he will give you the strength to endure. And we know that. Why? Because God is faithful. Because he is trustworthy and reliable. And so trust him and obey him with all of your being. Meditate on his word as the very word of God speaking the creator to you. See his works, cheer and applaud at his works. Worship in song as, as we're about to do to give him thanks. Know that your God alone is faithful above all things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as the faithful God. We are we are a people who struggle to be faithful in the commitments we make, the promises that we've made. Lord, thank you. Thank you for assuring us again and again from Scripture that you are utterly trustworthy in all that you do and what you say, what you put for us in your word is for our instruction to know who you are. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning, anyone who's watching online who is saying, I, I, I don't know if I know this God. I, I, I'm not sure I fully understand this God. I, I pray that today the, the working of your spirit and your word would accomplish what only you can do. And that is to, to bring sight to the blind and give life to those who are lost and dead in sin and cause them to see that this God who made these promises sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins, to die on the cross and to rise from the grave as the one who would rescue us and provide for us life and forgiveness. That was your promise and it was fulfilled and all who are saved are kept and held by you and we thank you for that. Thank you God for your faithfulness. Help us to, to walk in joy in that and in gratitude and to trust you Lord, if there are areas of life right now where, where we are struggling, where our brothers and sisters here are struggling to trust your 
promises, to believe all that you have done and all that you will do. I pray that your spirit today would, would just encourage them again through the ministry of your word to see your faithfulness and to believe that and to not waver in that faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.